Turn with me to John, the 14th chapter. We're actually going to be backing up into chapter 13. Continuing with our sermon series through the book of John. In John chapter 14, verse 1, Jesus says this, Let not your hearts be troubled. That seems a bit unfair. Let not your hearts be troubled. I want you to back up to verse 21. In verse 21 of chapter 13, it says, After saying these things, is after Jesus washes the disciples' feet, including Judas, it says, Jesus was troubled in his spirit. So Jesus was troubled. We talked about that. And now we're in verse 14, and Jesus says, Let not your hearts be troubled. That seems a bit unfair. He gets to be troubled and we don't. This is one of those places in Scripture you really have to wrestle with some things. What I want to do is I want to back up to verse 36. And it says this. It says, Simon Peter that said to him. Now, I, I just want to remind you real quick. I'm sorry, I'm interjecting already. Um, that... This is what we call the Last Supper. We're, we're, we're moving into the last 48 hours of Jesus' earthly ministry before he will die on the cross. So this is like his last time to get together with his disciples and just pour into them some of the most important things that they need to know. And a lot is happening during this supper including an argument which John doesn't record, but the other gospel writers do, that they begin to have an argument about which one of them was the greatest. That's got to make you feel really good. After spending three years with these guys, and they have really, like they're showing the fruit of what they've learned, which is which one of us is going to be the greatest. And so Jesus says, okay, I'm going to handle this, grabs a towel, grabs a basin of water and begins to wash their feet to show them, if you want to be greatest, you really need to be least. He washes Judas' feet. No one knew Judas was a Judas yet. And then, after he declares, one of them will betray me, in this really emotional night, we get to verse 36, where Simon Peter says to him, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus answered him, Where I am going, you cannot follow me, but you will follow afterward. And Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. And Jesus answered, Will you lay your, down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. 
Now, if I were one of the other disciples, I would say, that's the guy that's going to betray Jesus right there. It's Peter. Judas, he just went out to give money to the poor. But Peter, Jesus said it himself, he's going to deny him three times. What I um, think is incredible about this passage, I don't know where it is. I have to look it up. If you'll give me just a second here. I believe it's in Luke. Let me flip there for just a second. In Luke, Chapter 22, and in verse 31, this is Luke telling the same story. He words it a little different. He says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. And we don't sift wheat in our culture today. But basically, that's a, a violent shaking process. Satan has demanded to have you so that he can shake you violently. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And I always think this is interesting because I would rather Jesus pray for me that Satan won't get to sift me. I'd just rather avoid the sifting. I'd just rather not go through the hard times. But that's what we see in that verse 21. Jesus, he was troubled and he goes on to say, Just because I'm going through a hard time, what am I supposed to say? Save me from this hour? Save me from this difficulty? No, but God be glorified. And so here, what Jesus prays for Simon Peter is that his faith would not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. It's like this. Peter, you're going to screw up. You're going to deny me three times. And he doesn't think so. If you read on, he's like, Lord, I'm ready to go with you to prison and to death. And Jesus says, you know, before the rooster crows, you'll deny me three times. And like, here's the thing. It's like, like Jesus doesn't give up on us just because we screw up. Like, and, and I've walked through with some of you through some pretty bad stuff, and you've walked, some of you walked with me through some tough stuff. I've never heard any of you deny Jesus through it, though. Heard a couple of you come close a few times, doubting things, which that's part of the walk sometimes, right? But I've never heard any of you go to the extreme of actually denying Jesus, and yet Jesus doesn't think Peter's denial of him disqualifies him from ministry down the road. 
And not only that, he wants Peter to know, like, when you come back around, I don't need you to just wallow in false humility and, man, I screwed up and, and shame that the enemy puts on us. That's what the enemy, he just wants us to walk in shame because we've screwed up. And Jesus is like, no, the devil doesn't get anything. When you've returned, you need to buck up, go to your brothers and strengthen them. When you've returned, strengthen your brethren. You still have a calling. You still have a plan. You still have a purpose. Even though you got derailed for a little while, you go back and you lock on to the plans and purposes of the Lord. And when I look at verse 21, it says, Jesus was troubled. And when you hear Jesus work through his being troubled, where he lands at is this place of purpose. And Jesus finds hope in a place of purpose. Well, would you mind grabbing me a, a, a drink? I appreciate it. So we get to verse 14 or chapter 14 verse 1 it says let not your hearts be troubled. And and can I tell you something like if Jesus is saying this that means it's possible. Sometimes thank you so much. Sometimes when we're walking through hard things and I'm going to say we don't like we don't want to discount any time someone's going through a difficult time. The scripture is very clear that we mourn with those who mourn. And yet in it all, there's this place of peace that surpasses understanding. There's, there's, there's even in our mourning, there's hope that other people don't have. That's like when, when a, a loved one in Christ dies. The scripture tells us we don't, it says we don't mourn like those who have no hope. It doesn't say we don't mourn. It just says our mourning looks different than those who have no hope. So when Jesus is saying, let not your hearts be troubled, and some of us, we just want to push back inside. It's like, yeah, but you don't know what I've been through. I have to believe if Jesus commanded it, if Jesus said it, it's possible to walk through it. Jesus said, let not your hearts be troubled. But he didn't just park it there and say, now go figure out how to deal with that. I know you're going through a hard time, but don't be troubled. No, he goes on. What does he say? Believe in God. Believe also in me. Believe in God. Believe also in me. And, and theologians debate how this should be translated. And it could be, Translated, you believe in God, so also believe in me. But, but probably because this is actually, in the original language, an imperative command. And this is not English class today, but it actually helps us look at what this scripture means. It's an imperative command to believe in God. Don't let your hearts be troubled. How? Believe in God. Believe also in me. So like... The reality is, when our hearts are troubled, we're actually believing more in the situation than we are in God. That word believe in the Greek is the same word, or it's a similar as the word faith or trust. 
have faith in God or trust in God, trust also in me. It's Jesus talking. And so where is your faith? Is your faith in your situation or is your faith in God? We're going to find out in just a second, believing in Jesus is exactly the same as believing in God because Jesus is God. Jesus doesn't leave it there. Sorry, I have this in my notes. I have to rewind a little bit. I wrote down, the reason so many people are troubled is because they are believing in the wrong person. Maybe it's just not a situation. Maybe you're believing in the wrong person. That person keeps letting you down. Believe in God. Believe also in Jesus. Jesus doesn't stop there, though. In verse 2, look at this. He says, in my Father's house are many rooms or dwelling places. There was an old translation that said mansions. That's actually a mistranslation. That's not in the original language. Um, But let me just tell you, any room in the kingdom of heaven would be like a mansion. So I'm not upset about that translation. It's just not accurate to the original language. It's almost like an, an, an apartment, if you will. The best apartment you've ever been in, though. It, the connotation is, in those days, when a father had a house, and he had kids, and the kids decided to stay around, he would add on a room to his house. What is Jesus saying here? He's saying, you're a part of my family. He, you have a place to belong. You're a part of my family. In my father's house are, are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you, and then I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again to take you to myself, that you that where I am you may also be. There's so much that goes on here. <laughs> In my father's house are many rooms. He, he's talking about heaven. You, you know, Revelations describes heaven at length in, in many places. One place, John describes it, same author, John, describes it as being 1,400 miles long, 1,400 miles wide, and 1,400 miles, or, yeah, 1,400 miles tall, a perfect cube. How can that be? I don't know. It's enormous. One, one person said that if the whole thing is just one giant structure and there were 200 billion people in heaven, that each one of us would get the size of a city block. It's cubed. Another theologian who actually doesn't believe that's a literal thing, the 1400, I do personally. I think John saw what he saw. He said, no, it's just metaphorical, but think about this. He said, in the metaphor, it's pointing back to the prophets where they describe the Holy of Holies. If you go read about the Holy of Holies, the Holy of Holies in the temple was a perfect cube. And they said, 
what he's trying to show is that the Holy of Holies was where the presence of God was the strongest. And that in heaven, it will be where the presence of God is the strongest. Like he is there. Like he's everywhere, but he's really there. This is a pretty big place. This city. Heaven's described a lot of ways. Can I read a few verses to you about heaven? It says, and then he will wipe every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither there shall be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, nor former things, uh, the for, for the former things have passed away. First Corinthians tells us that no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. Listen to this in Revelation 22. It says, Then the angel showed me the river of water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God, and the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also, either side of the river, the tree of life with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and the Lamb of God will be in it, and His servants will worship Him. They will see His face. They will see His face. Is your heart burning within you as we talk about heaven? Are you excited to see his face? And his name will be on their foreheads, and the night will be no more, and they will need no light of lamp or sun. For the Lord God will be their light and will reign forever and ever. I'll give you a homework assignment. There's so many. Go, go read Revelation 21 and 22. It's just full of description of heaven. It's a real place, y'all. Like heaven is a real place. And Jesus, time and time again, he told us to stop trying to Store up treasures here where moth and rust destroy, but store your treasures in heaven. It's, it's, it's more than just a cliche saying we toss around. D.L. Moody, he spoke of heaven. He said he met a young man. And in his mind, Heaven was just a place full of angels. But then his grandfather died. And not long after that, his grandmother. And so then heaven was a place of angels and his grandparents. And as time went on and he became an, began to be an older man, more of his acquaintances began to pass away. And so heaven became a, a place with a few angels and some acquaintances and his grandparents. 
And as time went on and he became an old man, and more and more of his loved ones passed on, then heaven became a place where those he loved dwelled. No longer just a place with some strangers, some acquaintances, or angels. Heaven's a place where the people of God are. And they are gathered to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Heaven is a real place. And I know as excited as some of us are to be there someday and see some of our loved ones that have gone on before, nothing will compare to seeing the face of Jesus. And we ask these questions, well, I'm going to get to heaven, I'm going to ask the Lord about such and such. No, you won't. When you get to heaven, you're going to see the Lord, and your reaction is going to be the same as those angels. You're going to fall down on your face, and you're going to scream, holy, holy, holy. What I love about this is Jesus is saying, I go to prepare a place for you. Like, we all have this innate desire in our heart to belong. Like, we want to belong somewhere. This week I was listening to another pastor talk about this passage, and, and he was talking about this really nice vacation he got to go on, and he was on this tropical island. I was like, is this guy flexing or what? Let's... He said, there was this guy named Hector that served them everywhere they went. He said, so one day I, I took a nap. I woke up from my nap, walked out on the porch on this tropical island, and Hector quickly just handed me a cup of coffee. I was like, that sounds like heaven right there, right? <laughs> so he said, I, and then Hector scampered off, you know, give him some privacy. He was, I was standing there on this porch, Palm trees, blue skies, looking at the ocean. And I thought, I want to go home. I miss my bed. I miss my people. I miss where I belong. Because this is great, but I don't belong here. I'm not this kind of person who gets coffee handed to me right when I wake. Like, this is not me. I don't belong here. I want to go to where I belong. All of us have an innate desire to belong somewhere. Like That's one reason we want this church to feel like a place of belonging. Like We, we try really hard, and, and we could do better. I agree. We could do better, but we're trying really hard. We're trying really hard, and, and if you ever think, well, I have an idea how we could do better, well, just be really gracious with the way you say it, because we're trying really hard. We want you to feel like you belong. But as much as we want you to feel like you belong, can I tell you, Jesus has prepared a place for us where we truly belong. And as much as you long for your bed after going on a long trip, you ever go on a vacation and then you need a vacation from your vacation? So I just want a vacation where I just stay home, which I sort of had just this last week, but it wasn't really a vacation at all. It was rough. It was rough. But that place where we truly belong, like that's heaven. That's, it fulfills that longing. Like I will be where I truly belong. 
Pastor Drew, is it good to be so focused on heaven? You know, in Hebrews, Abraham was commended for searching for that holy city, that, that place, a city whose maker and builder was God. Being that heavenly-minded, I don't think it's so bad. If anything, I, th- I wish we would maybe be a little more heavenly-minded. Even Jesus taught us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So if we don't know what it's like in heaven, how will we know what it's supposed to be like on earth? As ambassadors for the kingdom of God, how are we supposed to usher in the kingdom of heaven to earth if we don't know what heaven is like? I don't think there's anything wrong with getting caught up. What is heaven like? I think it only encourages us and grows us. Verse 3 says, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am you may also be. Here's a reality that I don't think gets preached enough in churches. What do I know? I only go to this one. Um, I don't see a lot of it on social media when I listen to other ministers' sermons. Can I tell you something? Jesus is coming again. Jesus will return. Jesus is coming again. I have a few verses here back to Revelation. It says, Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. First Thessalonians tells us, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a Cry of command with the voice of an archangel and the sound of the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Second Peter tells us, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. And then the heavens will pass away with a roar And the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved. And the earth and all its works that are done on it will be exposed. And then there will be a new heaven and a new earth. When will this happen? Jesus says, no one knows the day nor the hour. When Jesus ascended into heaven in Acts, the beginning of Acts, this is after these events. Jesus is talking to them after he's died and rose from the dead and he's standing there and he ascends into the clouds. And it says, And while they were gazing into the heavens as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come again in the same way you saw him go into heaven. Ladies and gentlemen, Jesus is coming again. It's all through the scriptures. Jesus is coming again. And when he returns again, will he find us ready? Will he find us doing 
Jesus told the, the parable of, of the virgins, the, the bridesmaids, and they were standing outside waiting for the bridegroom to return, and some of them were ready. They had their lamps ready, and some of them didn't, they weren't ready. And they said, hey, well, lend us part of what you have. Like, no, we're ready. So they went off to look for the oil they needed for their lamps. And while they were gone, the bridegroom returned. Like, we, we don't have time to not be ready. We must be ready. We have to continue to be seeking the Lord. So, Peter in verse 36 of 13, which, by the way, these chapters, I, I would encourage you never stop at a chapter mark. I know it's a convenient way to stop and study things, but sometimes it breaks things up too much. In verse 36, Peter says, Lord, where are you going? Right? That's kind of what's launched us into this. In verse 4, it says, you know the way to where I'm going. And Thomas, man, poor old Thomas, who gets a bad rap. They call him Doubting Thomas. I think he just should be called Honest Thomas. He just said what the rest of them were thinking. And sometimes he was just saying what the rest of them had already said previously. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, and I, I'm glad he asked it because we got this great response from Jesus. Here's what Jesus said. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. This is one of the seven I am statements that Jesus makes in the book of John. We've already covered five previously where Jesus said, I am the bread of life and I am the door or the gate, which is similar to this right here, right? This is the sixth statement that he makes. In his sixth statement, he says, I am the way and the truth and the life, which is technically three things. He's saying, I am, which, which let's be honest, this is quite offensive to people. And this, is, this verse right here is why so many people in the world have a problem with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because he did not say, I am a way. I am one of possible paths to heaven. He said, I am the way and the truth and the life. And as much as I believe that we should be kind and gentle and gracious to any person we encounter and their beliefs, we should never get to the place where we agree with them that their beliefs are one of the ways to get to God. Because to do so is to deny Jesus himself. This is not condemning news, and that's why people reject it. Because to them, if they reject Jesus, this is condemning news. But I'm telling you today, if they accept it, this news is life itself. I am the way. I find it interesting because early Christians were not called Christians. In fact, the first name for Christians was followers of the way. They were part of the way, which I love that. And the imagery there is that of a path that everyone is following together. What path? The path that Jesus is trailblazing. Jesus' path. 
We're followers of the way. The disciples were called followers of the way. And the term Christian came along. A lot of historians, theologians think it was a derogatory term. You're one of those Christians. And the Christians are like, you know, I know you're saying that to insult me, but I kind of like it. So I'm going to keep it. And so we were like, yeah, we're Christians. We'll take it. I am the way, the truth, and the life. In, in John 3, if we flip back there, this is when, if you remember, Jesus is talking with Nicodemus. In John 3, 18, Jesus says, whoever believes in him is not condemned. He's talking about himself as the Messiah. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. This is Jesus saying, I am the way. If you back up to chapter 1 real quick, keep your hand there in chapter 3. He is also the truth. In verse 14, and we studied this when we were first going through this, it says, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, the glory of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And if you skip down to 17, it says that that the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. He is the way, He is the truth, and He is also the life. Look at John 3.16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life he is the way he is the truth he is the life no one comes to the father except through jesus and if you've known jesus you have known the father also from now on You do know him and have seen him. I love that. And Philip, he doesn't understand what's going on. What do you mean we've seen the Father? What what is he talking about? So Philip says to him, Lord, show us the Father and it is enough for us. And Anytime you're demanding more signs, can I tell you, it won't be enough for you. I've said it here before, I've seen people miraculously healed, miraculously healed, like x-rays in hand, and they still turned away from the Lord. It's never going to be enough for you. The scripture says, blessed are those who, who haven't seen and yet still believe. Like, this is, this is our hope. What is, why is Jesus going into this? It's part of the whole, don't let your hearts be troubled part. Believe in Jesus. Lord, show us the Father and it's enough for us. And Jesus said to him, you can hear it in the, like, we don't have the emojis here. We don't have, it doesn't describe Jesus' tone of voice. But you just know what it is by reading it, right? Have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Like, there's no way to, like, have you, have I been with you so long and you still don't know me, Philip? Like, there's just no way to word that besides like, 
this is exasperation. Like, are you, are you kidding me? Like, you still don't get it? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? The, the Father became flesh and is the Son, and His name is Jesus. Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does His works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on the account of the works themselves. And can I tell you, once again, works don't save us, but can I tell you, your works will prove who you really are. Who you are, will have, you'll bear fruit. And Jesus is saying, just look at the fruit. And I just, I, I love this. Because Jesus is calling his shot. Now, if I got up here and said, like, on my authority, I start giving you some lessons and teaching you things, That would be a little iffy because sometimes I make mistakes. It's not often every now and then, though. <laughs> and if I were to drive that stick around on my authority and, I, and then you catch me at one of my errors or my mistakes, that's a problem for all the rest of the stuff I was teaching because I said I had full authority. But that's actually what Jesus is doing right here. He's saying, I have all authority. He's, he's driving that stake in the ground and he's hanging all of his teaching and all of his life and all of his everything on that right there. That he's the way, the truth, the life and his words have all authority. Something that no one else in all of history can ever claim. So if there's one error, there's just complete error. He has full Authority, and can I tell you this, this is something that we've been talking about is your identity in Christ. But I will tell you this, you cannot ever fully understand your identity in Christ until you understand who Christ is. You have to know his identity first before you can know your identity. And once you know your identity, then you can find your purpose, which we talked about last week, which we won't get into. Um, worship people, will you come? I'm going to end there today because I, I believe that right there is what the Lord is trying to deliver to us today. Do not let your hearts be troubled. And, and my dad always said this. He always, he said, when I get to the end of a sermon, he always asks this question. Yes, but how? He calls it the YBH. That's the way he just always says YBH. If you, ever, if you ever go to a conference or sit through a sermon or a teaching with my dad, and he walks out and he goes, YBH. That means, okay, it was great, but what does that even mean for us? How does that practically live in us today? Yes, but how? And I, I would say this to, this morning, this whole passage is the yes, but how. Like Jesus is saying, 
Don't let your hearts be troubled. Okay, how? Believe in me. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Believe in me. And, and it goes back to what we were talking about in worship today, that word seek. Like, Lord, I, I don't always see you the way I need to see you. I need, I need to look for you more. I need to put my eyes on you. You realize what you look at, you become like. What you behold, you become. And so putting our eyes on Jesus and believing he is who he says he is. And so if our hearts are troubled, here's the YBH. Trusting in Jesus, trusting in his words, getting in his word, and believing Jesus is who he says he is. Sometimes we all get caught off guard by different circumstances in life. And it's so amazing that we serve a Savior that even death couldn't stop him. Like he rose from the dead. So if Jesus, the one we serve, can raise the dead, then why can't he do anything else? Right? Why can't he heal the sick? Why can't he bind up the broken heart? Why can't he give a word to someone to encourage them? Like, we serve a supernatural God. It's, we don't need to be scared of the supernatural God. Raising yourself from the dead is not normal. It's awesome. And we're so grateful that we serve a God who cannot be held down by anything. Will you stand with me? I'd like us to end the way we began today. And I'm sorry we, we began early on you today. Um, we won't do that to you every week. We were just trying to be obedient to the Lord. Um, we just want us to worship with this song. And, and when we get done with this song, just feel free to be dismissed.